Good morning and welcome to episode 367 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. It's an email Friday. Ben, how are you doing? Very well. And the listeners outdid themselves this week uh, with questions, both quality and quantity. I think we got more questions this week than in any other week. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what the occasion was, but thank you. Must have been a slow week at work. Mm. Um, before we start, a uh, couple things. First, did you did you happen to see Fat A Rod? Mm. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> okay, I'll send you Fat A Rod. I meant to bring it up yesterday because we talked about uh, Fat Cano when that was briefly a thing, or when I tried to make it a thing. Right, um, and, fat, and, and Fat Jeter. And right, and we fat. talked about where that ranked on the, the spectrum of, of <laughs> Fat Wow, <Jeter>. he's, he's <laughs> fat really fat. Fat Chipper. Well, yeah, so that's the thing. He looks like, he looks like Fat Jay-Z. <laughs> so, yeah, so the thing about these pictures is I kind of rank them on um, how plausible I believe the fatness is, I guess, uh, because Fat Cano seemed fat but there were there were other factors he was apparently in a photo shoot outside and was wearing a lot of layers uh fat jeter looked very fat but then there was a picture a few days after fat jeter surfaced that seemed to to show slim jeter uh this this one looks pretty convincing you i've tried to yeah i've studied that isn't a convincing place (laughs) i've studied the the shirt angle and There is there is sort of a suspicious protuberance there, right? There's something that seems to be pushing the shirt out that might not be a stomach. It does seem like it's possible that he's got some sort of like a microphone. He's wearing a wire, yeah. Um. <laughs> or uh, it looks like a big frog might be in there. <laughs> yeah, like it actually looks like a giant frog's head. Or I mean, he could be. Would you put a fanny pack under the t-shirt past A-Rod? <laughs> <laughs> Money belt? <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't. So there are there are other explanations. This is not conclusive that he is that he is now fat. Um, but kind of looks like Elmo's face as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know where I would rank this one. Probably pretty high just based on the circumstances. Yeah. surrounding the picture <laughs> it would it would seem like a like a fitting time for Arod to let himself go well except if he's gonna show up to springs i mean he's got to be on his game if he, <laughs> i mean if he's if he still actually is going through with this idea that he's gonna he's gonna play which he uh-huh. says he is he's gonna be he's got to be in the best shape of his life it, it cannot be there cannot be any any fat on Arod when he gets there so he said something today about how didn't he how they might have done him a favor and maybe he'll he'll take a time he'll take the time off to to readjust or or contemplate or eat or something, um, but I don't know I enjoyed Fat A Rod and I enjoy all all pictures of uh, fat players that may or may not actually be fat that is the key to the appeal. Um, we might as well I mean as long as we're talking about uh, A Rod skinny Sandoval. Uh, no, I, if, as long as we're talking about what A-Rod's going to do in his, in his, uh, year off, uh-huh. uh, can we start with Mike's question, which I don't, I don't think we have anything to add to it, but sure. I have another pre-question comment, but we can do that. Yeah. So Mike says, um, 
listening to McCulloch uh, about A-Rod and his job prospects for the year, I immediately thought, why wouldn't a website hire A-Rod for one year to cover the Yankees? Is there anything you would want to read more than Rodriguez writing game reviews and bashing Jeter's range on a daily basis? I suppose the Yanks could stop him from being credentialed, but he could still watch all the games or follow on Twitter. And I have to think he has more knowledge, insight than most beat, uh, beat reporters. Add in the fact that he seems like a pretty vengeful guy. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, yeah I don't know. He, he, for all his flaws, vengefulness doesn't seem like one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't think of a better daily or even weekly column. If no one hires him or if his contract prevents him from working, uh, what happens to his reputation if he simply sends out mocking, funny tweets about the team all year, etc.? Um, and well, I mean, that would be amazing. That's the best <laughs> idea I've ever heard. I, sure. and I, I don't know that I'll, I agree with all the details here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if A-Rod decided to spend his year off, uh, being, you know, like the, the, I don't know, you know, becoming a baseball intellectual in the public sphere or something, mm-hmm. it, it would be amazing. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I, I mean, if, if, if AJ Pruszynski, I mean, uh, well, there's just nothing else to say. It would be amazing. We would all love him. Like, by the yeah. end of it, we would all love him, right? I enjoyed reading his correspondence with Randy Levine, uh, uh-huh. and that wasn't even meant for, for public consumption. So, yeah. sure. I don't even need him to bash Jeter. I just need him to be better than um, Kevin Millar or, you know, whoever the alternative is. I wonder if and there's some sort of, like, Non, non-disclosure. Uh, yeah, or, or not non-disclosure, but non—I don't know—defamation or or something like that in a, a player's contract where he's not allowed to criticize the team publicly or anything like that. I I don't know. Um, um yeah, it it seems like I've heard people suggest that he should spend the year doing you know nothing but charity the entire time to to rehab his reputation, and I actually don't think that would work. I mean, it'd be no. great. It would be wonderful if he did because he's got a lot of resources and mm-hmm. and people should do charity when they have resources like that would be great you should you should do that but we'll we'll all hate you at the end of it Rod, <laughs> anyway because everybody will just assume you're doing it right. um, because your PR guy told you to and you're not actually going to reveal anything to us about yourself it, mm-hmm. you know but this if we actually spent a year hearing you talk in a different context and yeah. we found we found you likable. Like you just can't get like if a, a likable person wins that that just <laughs> like there's no way around it if you're if you're likable and people decide they like you they'll let you do anything. Yeah, although how many former players who become broadcasters or commentators are liked? It seems like not a whole not a high percentage. You're much more likely to have a a blog devoted to you getting fired or a Twitter account about the dumb things you say than you are to create new fans or at least i don't know on the internet it depends what your it depends what your job is if you have to talk three hours a day for you know 160 games a year you're gonna have a hard time staying interesting um but if you were just you know if you were just being cool you know (laughs) i mean people (laughs) clearly in a rod's skill set (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that is the problem. Is that the, the more we, the more we get to know him, the less we generally do like him. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, like this is this. You know, Fernando Tatis, for instance, is beloved, and he's not even doing anything. Just some guy is running a Twitter account posting random things about him, and I love Fernando Tatis. So, like, you know, like when Jose Canseco seemed to have hired 
mm-hmm. comedy writers to run his Twitter feed for a couple months mm-hmm. uh, before he went all crazy with like that the rape investigation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I think people liked Jose Canseco a lot more, and he you know all he did is probably hire some you know funny college or die intern uh, <laughs> for like seven hundred and fifty dollars a month, um, and uh, so you know A Rock could certainly probably pull that off. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the guy knows a lot about baseball, and if there's mm-hmm. n- there's nothing, if, if, you know, if he were candid about it, I mean, that's the other thing, is that most of these guys who, uh, we former players who we grow to hate, they, they're not candid, because they want to be part of the the system still, they want to be, you know, mm-hmm. part of the group, part of the club, they, they want to be part of the games club, though, if A-Rod wanted to be part of our club, <laughs> you know, like, if he just, if he, if he's just burning bridges, and he just wanted to be liked by um, you know, <laughs> me and you, he could probably do it. Mm-hmm. We're easily yeah. swayed. I'd love to see him try. He does sort of have this public persona that always seems too polished, like he's trying to be beloved or, yeah. or but if he could, if he yeah. could somehow channel the yeah. essence of A-Rod, then yeah, that'd be great. You're right though. He, he would, you're right. I mean, he would completely screw this up. Like this is not <laughs> his skill set. Yeah. This is like this is like going well. I mean, you know, geez, why doesn't he, uh, you know, go do heart surgery for a year? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he's he, that would be we we probably would respect that too. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up: Did you see the uh, instant replay announcement? Uh, yeah. Um, so we we talked about this when the the plan was originally proposed, but there were some details that had yet to be worked out. And most of those details are now finalized and have been announced. And there are some some interesting things in there, um, like the the number of challenges has been reduced quite a bit. When we first talked about this, uh, it was like three challenges. It was like one before the sixth inning, and then two after that, or something. Now it's just one, and if it's upheld, or or if the the original call is is overturned, then you get one more, so you get a maximum of, of two, and then uh, I think the umpires can initiate their own if they want to after the seventh inning. The crew chief can. Um, the other, a couple interesting things were, did you see the thing about the uh, the clubhouse, the, the club access to video um, to determine whether to challenge a play Personnel in the dugout will be permitted to communicate with a video specialist in the clubhouse who has access to the same video that is available to replay officials. This communication will occur via the dugout phone. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, and it, it also says, like, you have, to, you have to make the challenge in a timely manner, and it says guidelines will be established to determine whether a challenge is timely, but it can't be that timely if you have to call the clubhouse and have the guy watch the re- I mean, I, I guess... That could go fairly quickly, but we wondered how that would work because it seemed like teams would somehow try to to have someone look at the video before they decided whether to challenge or not, and and that's officially sanctioned in the rules here. Um, yeah, that yeah, it's interesting. That's interesting. The other thing is that the umpires will not leave the field at any point for the for the review. Uh, because the review will be conducted from Major League Baseball Advanced Media's headquarters in New York, and then it will just be communicated via some sort of communication station by home plate to the crew chief and another umpire. So that would 
hopefully cut down on the the time it takes. There will be no no running out off the field and into the tunnel and looking at some little screen inside the the bowels of the stadium. Uh, so that is good. And the other kind of nice thing is that clubs are now able to show replays of any play they want on the scoreboard in the ballpark, which is kind of cool. That like, is cool. Regardless, right. yeah, regardless of whether the play is reviewed or not. So even if it's not reviewed, they can they can show plays on the ballpark scoreboard, which is nice. That's delightful. What does that have to do with instant replay? Uh, I don't know, but it, well, it's it is replay, but it was included in this press release. I, I guess it's uh, now that replay is is officially part of the system for all these plays. I guess it would be silly to continue to prohibit them from doing that, especially because there are screens all around the ballpark and people are watching maybe on other devices and following along. And uh, But it's it's nice. It's good for the, the ballpark experience. Indeed. Okay. It feels like a total non-sequitur. Every, what you just said, in <laughs> fact, felt like a non-sequitur as well. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> what, is, what does instant replay have to... What? It's, it's news. What? It's news no, that I know, came out I know, today. I know, but like, what is there being instant replay review in mm-hmm. like in the umpires? You know, like at, at the at the league office, mm-hmm. three thousand miles away, communicated by phone, have to do with the scoreboard? Why? And and it you're was, saying that they can that they can was, show these plays even if it's a non-reviewed play. Yeah. So you're saying so, why are they doing this? I, I'm saying why did they choose this time to <laughs> announce this? Um. <laughs> I don't know. It's replay related. I mean, anyway. Like, it's like they just clicked the replay tag on the blog <laughs> and two completely different blog stories that both use the keyword showed up and they're like, well, I can see why people would wonder if, if the umpires are consulting replays, whether people in the ballpark are going to be able to watch along with them. I, I know, but they did not limit it to plays that are being reviewed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, but I'm happy about it. Me too. Okay. Uh, Questions. Um, All right, so I'll start with uh, Mike, who says, let's say there is a starting pitcher whose only stipulation with signing with your club would be he doesn't have to show up on the days he doesn't start. He will set up a webcam and work with an appointed pitching coach so that the team can ensure that he is practicing on a daily basis, but he's not coming to the ballpark unless he's on the starting bill. He's obviously self-centered enough that he has no concern for the views his teammates would have toward him. So would a team dare to sign him, given how bad a precedent it would be? How good a player would uh, how good would a player have to be to get this deal? Could Kershaw ask for it? And how much of a discount would this be in contract terms? Like if you could get a three to four war guy for league minimum, would teams do it? Um, so I wanted to, to answer this question because it occurred to me that this has happened and not even that long ago. Uh, Roger Clemens had this arrangement um, when he was coming out of retirement in midseason and teams were trying to to woo him and convince him to come back every year. Uh, he had a, I guess it was called a personal services clause, but it was generally referred to as the freedom clause uh, that said that he didn't have to be at the ballpark unless he was pitching. And the, the reason ostensibly was because... Uh, he wanted to attend his his four boys athletic events and do things with his family. Um, and there was uh, sort of a, a backlash to this. Um, 
not a not a huge one though like uh before these teams allowed him to do that they sort of club they they cleared it with uh clubhouse leaders like before the astros gave him this freedom clause they went to biggio and bagwell and said would you mind if clement is allowed to do this same thing when he was with the yankees and had this clause tory went to you know jeter whoever else on the team and and asked if it would be okay um there was some uh, there was some backlash in the form of of hot takes certainly uh scoop jackson had an excellent hot take in 2007 um he, he wrote i watched i listened i read waiting for someone anyone to say something to break down how selfish roger clemens really is to continue to treat the game this way the game of baseball the one america holds so dearly to its heart instead nothing the only point of national contention seems to be a freedom clause in his contract that allows him to go home on off days. The media, the people who are supposed to be the voices of reason, the protectors of the sanctity of sports, collectively have acted as if Roger Clemens signing with the Yankees was about Roger Clemens signing with the Yankees. The media is failing to recognize that this is about how one man not only has put an I in team, but put a me in MLB and myself in professional sports. Roger Clemens is without question the most selfish wait, wait. athlete of our time. Either that... Or he is the most celebrated pimp in professional sports. He he put them <laughs> he put them myself in professional sports. <laughs> yep, he put that, in, that's what they say. I in team, me in MLB, myself in professional sports. Uh, so that was a hot take, and it so it didn't really seem to be a, a major controversy though. Like after Clemens left the Astros, Phil Garner, uh, who was the Astros manager made some comments. He said, what sort of happened was we'd turn on the TV and he's playing a golf tournament. So it evolved to be more than just seeing family. And then Clemens fired back. Uh, and he said, Phil makes the comment that they turn the TV on and I'm in Hollywood golfing. There's not one time that I was away from my ball club, my team, that during the game, I was out on the damn golf course. Uh, and then Garner said, it was not something that hurt our ball club. I have no bones to pick about anything about Rocket. Uh, well, that that sounds disingenuous. I mean, that sounds very <laughs> very clearly like it. I mean, as as much as yeah. your ace and your manager yelling at each other through the the media hurts <laughs> right. your ball club. I mean, it does well, seem like it became an issue. That's this a, was that's... the comment was made after Clemens had left the Astros. Um, uh, I I see. And Garner said, "I I didn't hear anybody say we can't live with this. I did not think that was an issue." I don't really believe Garner, though. Yeah, I... Garner Garner is either lying or telling the truth. It does I mean, he, mm -hmm. he's going to say that regardless. Right. David um, Wells made some critical comment that I couldn't find at, at some point about it, but but basically, so so we know uh, a team would dare to do this if it were for a player who was as good as Roger Clemens, who was at that time pretty much the most effective pitcher in baseball and might not have come back at all under normal circumstances. Uh, and clearly there was no discount in contract terms because at the time his, his prorated salary was like the highest single season salary ever, I think. Um, so if you're really good, I guess teams will live with it or at least two teams would. Yeah, I mean, there's something different when it's a guy who's 44 too, mm -hmm. and I mean, it's he's clearly a short timer at that point. You know, you're, it's a it's a different calculus. You're not going to be coaching him. You know, nobody's even going to really talk to him. Like, you know, I, my guess is that if Roger Clemens joins a team, um, and you know, when he's 44, that there are guys on that on that team, even if he were in the 
clubhouse every day, even if he didn't have this provision. My guess is that there are actually guys on that team, on the 25-man roster, who never speak to him. Uh-huh. Like, like young guys, like uh-huh. who just never once get to talk to him. Uh-huh. It's just a guess. I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. I mean, it's a different situation. It's it's almost like like you're losing you're you're losing nothing in that situation. You're you're already probably mm-hmm. you know it, like he. It's a different. It's it's it's. Ah, I don't know. Uh, like if it were Kershaw, though. I mean, Kershaw's twenty five. It's a totally different thing. Is all I'm saying. Like it's not. I'm saying it's not a matter of just how good he is. Even mm-hmm. if even if a pitcher were just as good as Clemens, but he were 25, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be. Um, I don't think it would fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I will answer this one. You you queue up something. And I mean, Griffey. Remember, Griffey was taking naps in the clubhouse <laughs> right. during the game. Which mm-hmm. um, bless his heart, I'm not judging him, but mm-hmm. that seems to be just as um, sort of provocational in mm-hmm. in some ways. And uh, Griffey was terrible at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, again, it was more like it's more a status thing than how good you have yeah. anything. Once you get to, to Roger Clemens, Griffey status, um, I guess you can get away with things. Uh, okay, this question comes from Ben. Right and left field corner dimensions at the Polo Grounds Tiger Stadium and in the 1920s slash 30s Yankee Stadium were much shorter than modern field corner dimensions. Do you think modern pull hitters such as David Ortiz, Jason Giambi, Prince Fielder, etc. would have much higher production numbers in these stadiums? And on the contrary, are Hank Greenberg, Lou, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, and other older players' power numbers elevated due to shorter parks? Would love to hear your opinion on this topic because so many analysts compare Ruth's numbers to other dead ball hitters. Um, and I wanted to answer this because I read something relevant to it recently um, in Craig Wright's uh, baseball history newsletter, uh, a page from Baseball's Past. So Yankee Stadium uh, in 1923 when it opened was 285 down the left field line and 295 down the right field line. But, of course, it got incredibly deep uh, before you went very far over. It was 395 to straightaway left and 350 to straightaway right, and then it was just crazy in left center. I mean, 460 straightaway center was 520 (laughs) from 1923 to 1937. Um, So I don't think you could... uh, pull enough balls directly down the line to take advantage of this without also costing yourself a lot of home runs uh, elsewhere in the park. Like, um, there's a there's the idea that, like, Yankee Stadium was built for Babe Ruth, you know, to suit his swing and that he hit a lot more home runs because he played there. According to, to Craig Wright's numbers, though, that is not the case. Um that, uh, I'll quote, while old Yankee Stadium was much tougher on right-handed power hitters than lefties, during Ruth's career, it was still not a home run haven for lefty sluggers. Ruth's career home run rate at Yankee Stadium was 6% greater than in road games, which is less than the average home field advantage uh, for home runs. So Yankee Stadium was actually a slight drag on the Babes' home run production. Uh, And I think that makes sense, because even if you look at Pull hitters like I, I don't. I just pulled up the I pulled up Brooks baseball spray charts for the hitters that Ben named like Prince Fielder, David or David Ortiz, and while they they do hit most of their home runs to the pull field as I, I guess everyone does or just about, uh, they're still distributed pretty 
widely along the whole spectrum from the line to center and then there are some opposite field shots so it's not as if they're they're pulling them directly down the line I, I guess it could have benefited someone who whose only chance is to hit one out down the line like a guy who just doesn't have the power to hit balls to straightaway center or, or down in the power alleys um and so the only time when one goes out is when it's down the line i guess it could could benefit him but i doubt it would benefit uh ruth or or these other guys disproportionately or or that if you were able to transport modern players back to that era that they would hit more home runs purely as a result of the the short porches they would hit more home runs because they would (laughs) be unimaginably better than everyone else i imagine um the other interesting thing that that uh, Craig Wright pointed out was that uh, for part of the 20s and through 1930, which is when Ruth hit a lot of his home runs, there was a rule called Rule 48, which said that a ball that left the park on the fair side of the foul pole but landed in foul territory was a foul ball, uh, which of course is, is a fair ball now. So that probably cost him some home runs. And also uh, in the 1930s, if a ball at Yankee Stadium hit the foul pole and came back into play, it was not a home run. Uh, so those those two things probably cost Ruth some homers over the years. Um, so if it went around the foul pole, fair, but then mm-hmm. it landed foul. on the other side, yeah. then, it's, then it was called a foul ball. That yeah. seems like it would have the potential to cost. I mean, what do you think? What, what percentage of uh, uh, home run hitters, home runs do that? Like one in 25? Yeah, it sounds sounds reasonable. I think one in fifty, maybe. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, because if it's one in if it's I mean if it's this? one in twenty five, that means that he lost about thirty home runs, which is almost puts him tied with Hank Aaron. Well, I don't know. I'm looking at this this Prince Fielder spray chart, which is from 2007 to 2014, and it looks like looks like there are only like maybe five or so homers in okay. that. Which which could end? Wait, these, these, oh, wait a minute. Prince Fielder has he's hit what two fifty or something that could work out, right? Okay. Um, how many has he hit? But and uh, these these ball locations are not exactly accurate, so um, it's not necessarily a reflection of where it landed. But yeah, he's hit two eighty five, and it looks like somewhere around five could have been could have landed foul. So yeah. All right. Uh, shall I read one? Yes. All right, so this is from Mark. Uh, after listening to the A-Rod piece on 60 Minutes and then the following podcast, I came away with a very slimy feeling about baseball. Um, and uh, probably, uh, the I don't know, the one that we did about the the New York Magazine uh-huh. A-Rod piece. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. I came away with a very slimy feeling about everything after that. Anyway, uh, players with their own dope-dealing trainers, attorneys that come off like mob lawyers, they're people willing to threaten to rub out anyone who looks like they might get in the way of the player. Put this together with the slime we went through with Clemens earlier and earlier still Bonds, I can't help but wonder if these stories characterize what the game of baseball is about. Are these simply the outliers with so much money, fame, and narcissism that they simply sink down to the slimy substratus of the pool of baseball? Or is this really what the game of baseball is about? Does Buster Posey have his people and his attorneys who stop at nothing to protect their client? Does this characterize the typical MLB player? Uh, and I, I think first, uh, before we address this, the 60 minutes piece, I don't know. I, I don't know how credible some of the more, um, well, 
I guess how how credible some of the more incredible stuff was, like the 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 threatening to off mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bosch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I I wasn't really sold on that. Like that kind of felt like like pretty thin gruel to to run with. Um, do I really think that A Rod was willing to kill him? I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but point well, he'll, taken. He'll so, tell us next year when he's when he's on air. Hope so. Um, point is the question is still interesting, um, and so I guess uh, the question is without getting too sanctimonious or too worried about the children or anything like that. Uh, do you think baseball skews toward a uh, you know kind of better or worser uh, part of the humanity spectrum? Um. I I guess I guess I don't know maybe maybe slightly worse I, or maybe I don't know pro- honestly probably better just because it's hard to it's probably hard to get to the major leagues if you're uh, I don't know like if you're involved in shady stuff constantly um, it's a distraction and it's something that if teams find out about they won't like so. I don't know. I mean, if, if you're if you're just a single-minded athlete whose only goal is to be good at his sport and make a ton of money, uh, you probably have less time than the average person to get yourself in trouble. I, I mean, the the A-Rod stuff is so sensational because it's so unusual, right? As, at least as far as we know. Um, I mean, prominent players have their their posses and their you know people who surround them and help them with PR and legal stuff and everything as, as you would expect. But I don't think most of it is really all that nefarious. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I can go a lot of different ways on this and they all sort of lead me toward pessimism. I, I, I mean, you do think baseball players are psychopaths. Well, it's not, I, I, um, I think that there is, um, well, for one thing, I'm very pessimistic about human nature in general. I mean, I'm yes. fairly ashamed of my own self, and I think the world of me relative to um, a lot of people. I just, I generally think that there's like sort of a darkness at the core of every human being, and it makes me ashamed to be a human being. And uh, so, there's, I, I already start from a position where I think, well, yes, I mean, the nature of 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 all human actions skews toward the the the, the evil. So. Uh, I I particularly think that in a in a work environment with no women, um, there's uh, there's sort of a lack of moderating forces um, where I think that it would be I don't know certain characteristics would be promoted that I don't consider positive characteristics, mm-hmm. um, and also you have the the fact that there's a lot of money at stake, and generally I think whenever you put a lot of money at stake, people's uh, Ability to rationalize bad behavior um, gets—I um, forget what I was going to say to end that sentence—but they—they, uh, uh, they, you know, be- people behave badly around money, and there's a lot more mm-hmm. sort of leeches, and you know, not even just leeches, but sort of self-interested people who have um, a lot more incentive to to protect the players and to do whatever they need to to protect the players, and you also have—I mean. The other day, I was like, I was looking up some some agent or like some agent at some agency, and um, like I googled to 
see whether I could find like his email address or something like that. And a whole bunch of like horrible news stories about this agency came up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like really slimy stuff. Like you, you got the sense almost immediately that like this agency was like you know probably pretty rotten people mm-hmm. um, and you know doing fairly rotten things. And then I looked at their client list, and there were like a bunch of players who I had pretty good impressions of and thought they were seemed like good guys. And so, if nothing else, even if there are you're talking about good guys, um, they don't necessarily have good guys surrounding them. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that influence as well. On the other hand, um, I, I often think about this time that G, uh, that um, uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne was on like Fresh Air or something like that, and he was talking about how when he was I don't know like a, like maybe 20 or something like that, he was like into mugging people. Like he was poor, mm-hmm. and he would rob people. Like he would. He'd stick them up with a knife, and he'd take their their purse. Sure, as you do. And and it was so weird to hear him listening, uh, hear him talking to like <laughs> Terry Gross or whoever it was about this. And it was very, it was a, a calm conversation, and and Terry Gross didn't feel threatened or anything like that. But you're just thinking, like, if Ozzy Osbourne wasn't like, if if he needed Terry Gross's money, he he would take it, like. That is part of his his core, as it's probably part of a lot of our cores to uh-huh. sort of do evil and take what's ours. And the only reason that Ozzy Osbourne stopped stealing people's purses is because he didn't need to anymore. And in fact, there were financial incentives for him not to. If Ozzy Osbourne took a woman's purse right now, it would be pretty irrational from like his self-interest perspective. Uh-huh. And so he stopped stealing women's purses. But his 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 actual brain didn't change. His core didn't change, and so you might make the case that once players uh, are financially set for life and they have financial incentives to behave in like non-murderous ways, it actually mm-hmm. is a calming influence, and therefore yeah. they are better behaved than they would be if this was like um, you know a Colombian AAA soccer or something like that, where like there's a, a real level of like poverty involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I go all sorts of different directions with this. I would say but that mostly uh, dark directions. Mostly dark directions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if the the optimistic, uh, the my most optimistic take on this is that maybe money has essentially numbed their instinct toward violence, but it's still there in their soul. <laughs> that's that's the best I can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there's no reason to think that it's any worse than any other sport. If that makes you feel better. So if you watch any sports at all, it might as well be baseball. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's worse than anything. Prob. I mean, well, uh-huh. I, it might be worse. I, but I mean, like, I think most industries probably have a lot of rottenness in them. I mean, uh, the things that make our economy go round are often rotten industries. The guy who lent you, you know, the money to buy your house did you a huge favor. It was like a huge favor he did for your life, but he's probably a rotten guy in a rotten industry. And, you know, like a lot of teachers I met, like public school teachers, heroes, rotten, you know, like a lot of them are. <laughs> there's like, there's, there's factors at play in, in, in public teaching that skew toward the negative. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like the, everybody should be pessimistic about everything. If our listeners only knew the things that we do when we're not recording this podcast. They would never. They would never listen to us again. 
You know what I realized the other day too is I, I was walking around with this sort of deep anxiety and I couldn't quite identify what it was about. And then I, I realized that this anxiety was that I was worried about getting caught doing something and I didn't know what it was, but it was this sort of generalized guilt anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it wasn't even that I was guilty. I, like I didn't even feel guilty. I felt anxious that I would be shamed that like yeah. I would get caught doing something and I would be shamed. And so I had both simultaneously the feeling that I was doing something wrong and also no actual guilt yeah. about it. I, I uh-huh. was worried about getting caught. And I wasn't even doing anything wrong that I know of. I mean, I knew that in my core, I was also <laughs> rotten and didn't care. It's all horrible. Yeah. Anytime I've ever been accused of doing something, even if I didn't do it, I acted so I act so guilty and suspicious and suspicious because just the thought that someone might have thought that I had done that thing yeah, makes yeah. me if, act like I did it, basically. I, I can't walk into a store and not buy anything because when I walk out, I, I walk all funny because I'm worried that they're thinking I'm stealing something. Like if I yeah. walk past the paycheck without paying, uh-huh. I feel so self-conscious that they think I'm stealing that I actually start walking funny. Like I can't yeah. walk. Yeah, at the grocery store across the street, if I if I have some stuff and then I want to go grab a banana, the banana yeah. is by the door. So I'd have to walk past the, the checkout place yeah. to get the banana with the other stuff that I want to buy. And I'm so I'm so nervous that they'll think that I'm trying to shoplift that I have to like put all the stuff down, go get the banana, come back, pick the stuff up, and then go check out. The other thing is that um, you have – baseball is interesting because on the one hand, there I, I think that there's actually very, very little to um, – you know, very little about the game cares about whether you're a good person or not. Um, it's basically a meritocracy and a lot of the things that we consider makeup have nothing to do with good behavior or, or good personality. It has to do with drive. It has to do with steady, you know, steadiness, being able to, uh, basically perform in a certain kind of situation. And then like some small part of it is having, has to do with being a good teammate, but even that's not necessarily being a good guy. You could be like a horrible monster, um, and be well liked by your teammates as you know, we, we hear in stories all the time. So, so there's nothing exactly pushing, um, good characteristics, but on the other hand, um, there's nothing that like, like if you want to be a, I, I take it from watching, you know, Hollywood movies that probably aren't representative. If you want to be like a successful trader, like on Wall Street, you probably have to be able to suppress your better nature mm-hmm. in order to be successful. Like, or if you want to be a salesman, you have to probably be able to lie to some degree. Um, and so, like, it actually does suppress the better nature of a person. But baseball doesn't do that at all. There's actually there's no actual nice guys finish last element to it. And so if you take, like, let's imagine that Buster Posey really is the greatest guy in the world, or, or Clayton Kershaw, for instance, seems to be like a spectacular human being, just a super-duper human being. There's no disadvantage there. So um, so I don't know. Baseball doesn't seem to actually have an incentive system for behavior for the most part. So I don't know if that helps it or hurts it. Mm-hmm. That's probably, I guess that what that probably does is it probably creates a bigger range of personalities than you would see in industries where uh, the industry does try to sort of funnel a certain kind of behavior or personality type. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. So that's it. I got to (laughs) go. All right. 
Um, so I think we'll be off Monday probably for Martin Luther King Day. So we'll be back Tuesday. And uh, please continue to send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Although we got so many good ones this week that we, we might just do two email shows next week, depending on how much news there is. Uh, I forgot to ask last year or last week for iTunes reviews. Uh, so if you can rate and review us on iTunes, we would appreciate it. If you could subscribe to the show on iTunes, we would appreciate it. And we hope that you will join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. Uh, so have a wonderful weekend, long weekend if you have one, and we'll be back next week.